Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. It is sad that the political scene has, in some sense, co-opted the question of life, the issue of abortion in our culture, because it's not a political matter. And I know for some of us to, to talk about it in church, we believe the lie that this is something that should happen outside the walls of church. I know that's the case for a younger generation. But the issue of life is a biblical issue. God gives life. The issue of life is a theological issue. The issue of life is a gospel issue. The issue of life is an, not just an issue, it is a mission for the sake of the church in the culture. You see, we can't preach a gospel of life, eternal life, and be okay with a culture of death. And we live in a culture where death seems to be a convenience. And it's not. It's unnatural. It's a sign of judgment. And we never embrace judgment and death for the sake of convenience. And so at Ashland, we will be a church, as Clay just beautifully sung, he wrote that song this week, we will be the voice for the unborn. We're not going to rely on government to do it. We're not going to rely on politicians to do it. We will use government to do it, and we will use politicians to do it for us at times. But we, the church, are the voice for the unborn. 4,000 people created in the image of God are violently destroyed sucked from women's bodies, destroyed on a daily basis. If we say we believe in life, what will we do about it? What will we say about it? It's not an issue for just a voter's booth. It's the issue for the pew. For some of us, we need to see little boys and girls sitting in our living room because we walk up to these women and we say, please don't kill your baby. Give them to me because we believe in a gospel of life. It's an issue for the church. It's a gospel issue. It's an issue for you as an individual, as a witness for the gospel to work out in your own life. And we have a wonderful opportunity to do that today as a church. At 1.30, uh, there is a celebration of life at uh, the courthouse, downtown Richmond. And I want to invite all of you to join me there. It seems as if Ashland has the largest crowd every year. That's not what we're trying for, but let's have the largest crowd today. And let's come out in droves. 
know some of you have BFG, and that's perfectly fine. You can pray in your BFG for life, for the unborn. But if you don't have anything else to do, be there at 1.30 just to say, we will be your voice. We will be your voice. Let's stand together today for life. I want to see you there. Um, I know it's cold. I know it's cold. Sometimes you do things that are hard and difficult and inconvenient to prove things matter to you. So I hope to see you there at 1.30 today, downtown Richmond. Also, right after the service, uh, college students, uh, we're glad that you're back, uh, and we're glad to have you here today. We do have access. We're going to feed you a free meal, and then we're going to answer questions you might have about life, religion, politics, Christian living, dating, whatever you want to ask us. Uh, we will answer those questions for you right in the back, access right after the service. If you have a child that's in third to fifth grade, uh, Kids Bridge is meeting. So if you haven't taken your kid back for that, do that at this time. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. If you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. And as you do that, I'll remind you we're in the midst of a sermon series. Normally, we take books of the Bible and we work verse by verse, passage by passage through them. But to begin this year, we are talking about essentials at Ashland. What does it mean to be a healthy follower of Christ in the context of this church? What are the sort of things that you do? And we first of all asked the question, are you a Christian? Have you believed the gospel? Last week we asked, are you a church member? And this week we will ask the question, are you engaged in worship? As we set before us this map, what does it look like to be a healthy disciple in the context of a local church? I'm going to read verses 24 and 25 to begin our time together. Hear the word of Christ. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Oh God, I pray today that even as we read these verses, that we would do these very things. In these moments, we would be considering one another. Our thoughts would be moving from ourselves to those around us, how we can love them, how we can serve them. God, I pray in these moments we would look around and we would see the flesh and blood presence of Christ right here with us in the church, empowered by the Spirit. Jesus is here standing, singing, praising with us, with his body. God, we would see it. We would feel it. We would understand what it means. And God, we would leave here today understanding that we are kingdom citizens. We represent a city on a hill that will never fade away. And God, I pray that that thought would transform us, transform our Christian lives as we gather with our brothers and sisters. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. And be seated. Why would someone do that? Imagine on a Sunday morning waking up, gathering your family, your wife and your kids, into your living room, reading your Bible, praying together, and then opening up your computer 
searching the internet, and then pushing play to watch a worship service in the United States. Imagine having to do that. Now, some of you say, that would be awful. That, that, that's something that Christians probably should not even do. They should gather with local churches. They should actually go to church. Well, for some friends of mine, this Sunday morning experience is not one of just convenience. It's not something they're even choosing because of sin in their life. It's because they are absolutely the only Christians in their city. And they have no one to gather with. Even more, as Clay spoke earlier, for some Christians it's illegal to gather. And we can argue about how they work that out and what they should do in those situations. But for my friends, they moved to this city where there are no churches to see churches planted. And right now, that is exactly what they have to do every single Sunday morning. And last week, I heard one of these friends describing that experience, and they had just gone to a worship service here. And after experiencing that, they were kind of homesick. And they were describing Christianity that they experienced in America and now where they live, how it's illegal, how Christians are being arrested, how some of their friends are being sent home. And they said, we have no option to do this. We have no other option but to stay at home on Sunday. We don't understand why any Christian in America would choose that option. With all of the churches, with the freedom that you have, why would you choose not together with your church family? It, it makes no sense that Christians who have the option and freedom would choose something less than the flesh and blood body of Christ on Sunday morning. And this isn't foreign to the book of Hebrews. This is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is dealing with. He writes to a group of Christians who are being persecuted for their faith in Christ. He says at one point in the letter, you haven't experienced bloodshed yet, meaning you're not being killed for your faith just yet. That could be coming. But you are enduring struggle and hardship for being Christians. And what it was doing to these Christians, most of them at one time were attending the synagogue. They were Jews. They were practicing Judaism. And they hear that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. They hear that Jesus is the high priest. And they believe the gospel. And they start going to church. And then from their friends and family, they, they experience oppression. They lose their job. They are disowned. And so the decision in their mind is, oh, going to church is hard. Being a Christian is hard. Let's just go back to the synagogue. And the writer of Hebrews says, no, you can't go back. Because if you go back, you're acting as if Jesus never came. And if you go back, in essence, you're saying Jesus needs to be crucified for you all over again. You can't go back. 
Jesus is the end of the story. He is the expression of God in flesh and blood. He is the fulfillment of the law. And so he writes to them, and his point is, hold fast to this confession no matter what. Even if you suffer, even if you're persecuted, hold fast. And one of the ways that you do that is you go to church. Don't stop assembling just because it's hard. Notice, he says corporate worship, the gathering of the church together is what we're going to talk about today. First of all, we see in our verses, it saves us from self-focus. Notice, as we hold this confession to Jesus, we have to do it with one another, and we do so by gathering one another, with one another. And so, as we gather with one another, verse 24, he says, and let us consider. Let us, the word consider there means to think. It means to study. It means to focus. And, and, and the word consider there assumes one another. It's one of the one another's in the New Testament. Love one another. Be merciful to one another. Forgive one another. Here it's consider. It's think. It's focus. It's give attention to one another. To your church community. And notice the command there. In the context of suffering, you are to gather together. And why are you to gather together to think, study, focus on others? What is our natural inclination when we are suffering? What do we want to do when things are hard? We want to focus on me. We want to worry and stress about the problem. If I can just get away and spend some mental energy on it, it will fix it. That's what we think. We, we, we want to focus on what God is not doing for us. We want to focus on how others have failed us. But gathering with your church family, first of all, saves you from this kind of self-focus that only makes you miserable because you and of yourself can't fix your problems. You're not sinless and you're not sovereign. You're not Jesus. And the solution to all of your problems is to focus less on you, focus more on Jesus. And where does that begin? In the context of corporate worship where we come into this place and we are considering others. We, we have to, in the, the, the essence of gathering with other people, where you're going to be around other people, means you have to think less about yourself. You are forcing yourself to do that. And so corporate worship on Sunday saves you, saves you from the misery of self-focus. It frees you up to an other-centeredness to have to just raise your head up and look around and see that other people exist and the world doesn't revolve around you and there is great joy and there is great freedom in just doing that. Corporate worship saves us from self-focus. But notice it saves us from self-centered living, from selfishness. Because as we consider one another, there's a point to it. Notice how to stir up one another. The, the word stir there means to incite. It means to agitate. It, it, it means to cultivate. It means to shake and stir. And notice we are to stir up love sacrificial commitment to others sacrifice as we serve others serving others in a way that costs you something 
we in the context of corporate worship are to be stirred up, agitated, shaken to love and gracious works, unconditional service and kindness to others. I am considering others so my focus isn't on me. It's focused on how can I love these people? How can I serve these people? Think about a paint mixer at Lowe's. That's what you're to be in the context of the church. What happens? All the good stuff sort of settles on the bottom. Think about bottle Gatorade mix, sweet tea. You let it sit there. The sugar, the stuff, the good stuff falls on the bottom. The paint has to be agitated. The drink has to be stirred up. And as Christians, we live our lives focused on ourselves. It's hard not to do that. Our schedule, what's going on in our life, our events, our kids, our home, our bills. We focus on ourselves, and what happens is all of the good gospel stuff settles on the bottom. And what we have to do is gather with the church and almost be agitated. <laughs> we have to be incited. We have to have all of that stuff stirred up to the top where we are reminded the gospel's true. God's good. Jesus is king. And I'm going to live for him. And how do I do it? Notice again, love and good works. All of my self-centeredness is stirred up and my head is lifted and I see other people and I'm thinking about other people and so I'm going to commit to love them. I'm going to commit to serve them. It's no longer about me. I'm tired of, I think about me all week and now I've been agitated to think about other people and look around and now I'm free to serve others. Now, this right here is the problem that most people have in the context of the church. Their problem with the church begins and ends with them. I know in my life, when I'm thinking about how other people fail me, how other people irritate me, the things that they do that just drive me crazy, and I come home and I'm like, why do y'all do this? Why, why is my family this way? Why do you choose these things? Why, why is this culture present here? And then I look in the mirror and go, oh, you're the leader. What are you doing about those things? And most of our problems in life come back to us. And so often people in the church look at the community and they critique the community. This is what you're doing for me. This is what you're not doing for me from a distance. And they're not loving and serving the community. And if you are a person who walks into the church and your head is lifted and you see other people and you're considering other people to love them and serve them, guess what? You realize it's not about you and you are free from that critical spirit because you're too busy loving and serving other people to be critical to think about what other people aren't doing for you. Last week in our BFG, Kristen O'Brien, who is very candid, you just ask her her opinion, she's going to tell you. She said, when people complain to me about the church or churches she's been in, one of the first questions she asks is, are you tithing? Are you giving 10%? <laughs> 
Because it's really hard to give 10% and have a disgruntled spirit. Well, what are you saying? This isn't about me. This is about others. I love and I serve others, so I give of myself. I'm all in. I'm not going to be a critic on the sideline and whine and complain. I'm all in loving and serving others. And what we do in corporate worship, it begins there. You worship by choosing to think less of yourself and more of others. The most encouraging experiences that I've had in church over the years don't come from looking around the room and, oh, that's a, that's a glitzy, glamorous worship scene. Somebody get over there and take a picture and post it to our Instagram site so everybody will see how pretty we are. It doesn't come in those moments, the promo videos that look all cool. It comes in knowing the guy seated across the room is having to wear a diaper today because cancer is eating his body away. And he rolled in an oxygen tank just to be here. And my heart soars for Jesus. It's looking out and seeing the woman who is so paralyzed by betrayal. I'm leaving you. And yet she's here. And she's standing and she's singing. And that's why you consider others in corporate worship. Because you're reminded you're really selfish and the world doesn't revolve around you. And most of your problems aren't that bad. And if people can worship Jesus in those situations, I can worship Jesus. That's good and that's healthy for you. You consider others. That's where it begins. And so you worship by saying, let me think. Let me pray. Let me, let me look around this room right now. Let, let me think about others here. Let me write down some notes. And you walk up to people in the greeting time and say, let me pray for you. Not just commenting on social media praying. No, I'm going to pray for you right now. No, 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 you're not going back to your seat. I know greeting time's almost over. You stand right here and let me pray for you. And you pray for them. Or let me babysit your kids this week. Let me keep your kids for you. Oh, well, I'll have to look at my schedule, blah, blah. No, 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 no. You're not going to look at that schedule. I'm going to be there Tuesday night at 6 o'clock. Do whatever you want to. Well, they got practice. They got, I'll take them to practice. No excuses. I'm serving you. Shut up. <laughs> That's how you do it in the context of the church. But you're not going to do that if you come in and you're worried about yourself. You're focused on yourself. No. Head up, looking around, taking notes, studying, considering others, how you can love and how you can serve them. But notice, corporate worship saves us from worshiping ourselves. Notice we do this, but notice the danger. He says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Now, the assembly he's talking about there is the gathering on the Lord's Day, where the church would get together, they would break bread, they would study the apostles' teachings, and they would celebrate the ordinances. And the Lord's Day is rooted actually in creation. God created for six days, and then he rested on the seventh day. It's not that God did nothing on the seventh day. He didn't go take a nap. He just said, I'm not going to work. And he instituted the Sabbath, which means to cease. That's what the word means, to stop. It means to stop working and worship. In Israel, 
They would work six days. They would go out into the field. They would do all the things they needed to do. And then they would stop on the seventh day, according to the law, to worship. And it was an act of worship in saying, God, we trust you. We don't trust things we can do with our own hands. We don't trust our own commerce. We trust you to provide for us. And so on this symbolic day, they were saying, we trust you every day. And then the early church instituted what's called the Sabbath principle on the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day. The day Jesus was raised from the dead. Sunday. The first day. The church said, we're going to celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday. Because this is the, G- the day Jesus was raised from the dead. And so, we're going to stop and worship on the Lord's Day, the Sabbath. And symbolically, what they were saying is we're going to rest from work because Jesus has done all the work. Jesus is back from the dead. We don't have to work anymore. We're going to trust Him. And there was this symbolic gathering of the church on the Lord's Day to say, Jesus is Lord, not commerce. Jesus rules. And we have to say that in our lives as Christians. However that works out for you. I know know we live in a culture and things are so different, but you have got to say on the Lord's Day, whatever it takes, I'm going to make Jesus a priority. Jesus is going to be king, not the hustle and bustle of everyday life. Jesus is is Lord. He's done all the work. So so I'm going to stop and I'm going to rest in him. I'm going to gather with the church family and I'm going to hear from the word that Jesus is king. I'm going to sing that Jesus is king. I'm going to rest in Jesus as king. I'm going to say on the Lord's day, I'm not king. You know, this is really hard for my family on Sunday. I hear this a lot from people and they, they're like, you just don't know everything I have to do on Sunday. Well, we get up early. We, we have eight people in our house. We have, I think we have three bathrooms. Is that right? I can't remember sometimes. Pay the water bill. We're all scrambling around getting here and go through the worship service. Most Sundays we have access. Today, actually our BFG is preparing access. So we do that. I'll be here for access. I'll go to the courthouse at 1.30. And then around... 3.30, we're like, get the house ready for BFG. So we're, we're cleaning, everybody's scrambling, getting the house ready for BFG. BFG comes over, the kids come here for student ministry. And it's, you say, oh, is that restful? Because that does not sound restful to me on a Sunday. Sunday is a day of rest. And I'm not going to say every Sunday is restful And we're all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed running around doing that. But here's our decision. Six days of the week, we are thinking about ourselves. We huddle together as this little army who's trying to survive our schedules. And on Sundays, when we back up and go, this is about others. Open our house for others. Spend and be spent for others. It's literally... The most refreshing day of our week. Now, does that mean we're not physically exhausted? Does that not mean we're dozing off at 8.30? Yeah, but we go, it wasn't about us today. And however you have to do that in your life, maybe it means you're not involved in so much. Maybe your family, that just doesn't work for you, and that's fine. 
But you've got to stop and say, Jesus is king, and I've got to consider others, not myself on this day. And you've got to pursue rest in that way. Because the more you think about yourself, the more you're going to lack rest. Because you can't make yourself rest. Only Jesus can. And remembering he is king and he has done the work and he has freed me from self. That is how you rest in Jesus on the Lord's day. But notice he gives a warning here. As is the habit of some. Literally it is the pattern of some to not do this on the Lord's day, on Sunday. And remember the context. It is a context of persecution. And we would look in on that and say, why not Facebook Live that thing? Why, not, why worry about gathering? Because it's going to cost you your life, maybe. It's going to cost you your job. Why would the writer of Hebrews say, no, 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 no. You still got to gather. No matter what's going on, you still gather in the face of persecution. Why would he do this? It's because the gathering of the church was a witness issue. Remember in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, I'm going to give you my spirit. And what does the spirit do? The Spirit empowers us to say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. It, it, and we even see this outbreaking of the Spirit where people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, they're saying Jesus is King in their own nation. And then what does the Spirit do? He begins to gather Christians in groups. And as those Christians gather in groups from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, the Spirit pours out these signs and wonders to say the church is the sign in the world that Jesus is King. Churches gathering together are outposts of a coming kingdom where Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King. And they gather together in these outposts to say it week after week. It was a witness sign. It was a part of their life. If I'm a Christian, if I'm following Jesus, that means I will gather with other believers no matter what, and together we will say Jesus is king. We will say Jesus is king in the word. We will say Jesus is king in the ordinances, no matter what it costs us. And throughout history, it has been that way. You see, we think, because so often it has been abused. The issue of church attendance has been abused into legalism. Or if you're not here, you're going to hell. And so we have kicked against that. And we have gone to the point where we've said church attendance is not important. But throughout the history of the church, it is the sign in your life that you're a Christian. That you gather with other Christians. And we live in a time, it, we live in a post-Christian culture. Whether we like it or not. And one of the indications of that is church attendance is an option for Christians. Now, think about what I just said. Church attendance, corporate worship is an option for, it's never been that way in the history of the world. But we live in a context where most Christians are not gathering together with churches. Think about these stats. Out of 52 Sundays a year, most Christians say they will miss 20 of them. Most Christians will only gather for around 20 Sundays at a church. People who call themselves Christians think it's an option not to go to church. That makes no sense according to the New Testament. That makes no sense according to church history. 
It is an anomaly in our culture, and it's one of the indications we live in a post-Christian culture, where on Sunday, Christians are waking up going, should I go to church today? Maybe. Y'all want to go to the lake? Should I go to church on Sunday? Well, we've got this game, and 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 this game. No, we can't go. That's... Uh, in the history of the church, those sort of decisions make no sense. That Christians would even think that way. They would say, no, we're going to be at church with our church family because it's important. It's a sign of our witness. It's who we are. We love it. And then we're going to make those other decisions. But we live in a culture where this is the case. And so I'll, I'll tell you this. You want to be seen as a weirdo in this culture? You tell your family, no, we'll be there after church. And you're considered a weirdo. You go up to that coach and you say, hey, we'll try to make Sunday afternoon work, but we're going to be at church. You start saying those things to people in this culture and you're a weirdo. The same way Christians... In this culture, and it sounds so trivial to even make the connection. In this culture, it was, if you gather, you're going to be killed. You're going to lose your job. You could lose your family. Now it's just church. But we'll have a devotion before the game. Well, we'll, we'll, why do you have to go to church? Why would you do that? It's okay to miss church. That's about all you will endure in this culture for not assembling. But it's a witness issue. It's who you are as Christians. But notice what we are to gather to do. Encouraging one another. Encouraging others. The word encourage means to walk alongside. Walk alongside. The Holy Spirit is called the encourager. Why? Because Jesus says, I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised from the dead. I'm going to send it to the right hand of God. And then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit in, and he's going to walk alongside you. He's going to encourage you. And this is the role we have in the church. As those who believe the gospel, you say you are filled with the Spirit. The primary gift that you have in having the Spirit in your life is encourager. Encourager. Now we think, well, I haven't been gifted with the gift of encouragement. I'm rather discouraging. Well, no, if you have the Holy Spirit, he is the encourager and he lives within you. And what he does in your life is he, the same thing he did for the disciples is he points them to, Je- points them to Jesus. And so you with the Holy Spirit in your life, guess what you do? You point other people to Jesus. That is the primary role that you have as a believer to encourage. And, and notice how this works out. Like the Spirit's work, the the emphasis is on presence. Jesus was present in flesh and blood. He says, I'm going to send in the Spirit to be my presence in the church. And the Spirit that ties the church together forms this flesh and blood presence of Jesus in the world. Christians who believe the gospel, tied together by the Spirit, are flesh and blood presence of Jesus in your life. And you are to see yourself as an encourager, stepping into the life of others and pointing them to Jesus, just like the Spirit does. And so you gather with other people on the Lord's Day. And I I know the the trends in church life. We're believing the lie that says, 
So much of our life is digital. Church can and should be digital too. I don't know about you, but my digital world makes me miserable because I am alone and I am isolated away from others and I'm not thinking about others. And if church is that, how miserable is that? No, church should jolt us from the digitized world we live in. The, the, the self-consumed world we live in, it should jolt us from that. And you look around and you see real people. These people aren't pixelated. Go over and touch them. They're real. They're, they're not going to stamp your forehead like. I like you. No, they got to deal with you. They got to deal with you. And they may not like you, but they have to love you. And you're smelling their breath. And they're dressed funny. And you, you can't hide from that. You can't walk away from that. It is to jolt you into reality. If anything in your life should do that, you're sitting behind computer ski, screens. Uh, you're, you're looking at spreadsheets all week long. Everything is so digitized. Netflix, TV, at all. And then you gather with real people and you go, oh, Oh, oh my goodness. I thought I was dreaming. This is real. I live in the world. And there are real, real people. And guess what that's to tell you? The gospel's real. Jesus is flesh and blood back from the dead. He's real. He's alive. And we step into other people's lives and we remind them of that. You heard a lot of bad news this week. Some of you are worried about your job situation. Some of you are worried about a doctor's appointment. And you step into one another's life and you are the encourager. Jesus is back from the dead. Your sins are forgiven. The gospel is true and you actually say that to one another. One of the craziest things about church is we forget to talk about the gospel. The gospel is to be at the center of everything and it should be at the center of our conversations. And we need this. Notice the text says, all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, this would be the opposite of what we would think. Notice the day. He, he refers to the second coming day of the Lord. And in the New Testament, there's this idea that before this day gets here, things are just going to keep spiraling down. Sin is just, it's rooted in the world. And, and, and Satan is on a leash and he is ruling and reigning. And this is all going to, it's just going to spiral down until there is this great day where Jesus rips the clouds open and he comes in and he rules and reigns. Now we would say, if that day's coming, let's coast. Let's just coast because the day's coming. Relax, guys. Don't get uptight about this. And he says, no. As the days get harder and harder, you need corporate worship more and more and more. Don't call it off because the days are harder. You need it more. Don't forsake the assembly because it's hard. You need it more and more and more as the end coming, as the end comes. And why is this? Church attendance is a study in eschatology, the study of end times. That's what this is right here. You, you are studying the end right here. Look around. Take notes. You, you are studying what the kingdom of heaven looks like as you look around this room right now. You are studying heaven. 
and you are reminded of what you are. We are an outpost of the kingdom that is coming that will rule and reign. Jesus will set up shop forever, and he will be king, and everyone and everything will bow down before him. And guess what you see here right now? The authority of Jesus Christ. People bowing before his word. People bowing before him in song, in prayer. We're saying Jesus is king. And you are studying the end as you look around. You are reminded of who you are. You are a citizen of this coming kingdom. And your gathering here is a sign that you belong to a kingdom that wins against persecution, sin, and death. You are reminded of that. We get caught up as we think we're losers during the week. This, this decision in government didn't go my way. We're losers. I didn't get the promotion. I'm a loser. My kid didn't make the team. We're all losers. And yet you, you get together with the church and you look around and you go, oh, no, winners. I remember now. People who work at Oakenite, rulers in waiting. People who work for the school board, rulers in waiting. Stay-at-home moms, rulers in waiting. People looking for their next job. Rulers in waiting because they belong to the kingdom. And you look around every week and you're reminded of that. You're reminded of that. And on the Lord's Day, we are saying together, your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. And we look around and we say, come Lord Jesus, come, come quickly. And we do it together with one another. And so on the Lord's day, we make everything about Jesus. What will heaven be like? Jesus is at the center of heaven. And so we as a family, your family, has to make the Lord's day about Jesus. Whatever it looks like for you. You got to say Jesus is a priority. Because heaven, Jesus is the priority. And as a church, we have to say Jesus is the priority. Jesus is the priority here. We're going to preach about Jesus. We're going to sing about Jesus. We're going to talk about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Why? Because that's what heaven is about. And we are studying the end as we look around this room and we consider one another. And as we partake in what's happening here. Jesus said that we are a city on a hill. He's talking about a church. And we on Sundays are to reflect that city on a hill. When we gather in this warehouse, we are a city in a warehouse. We're kingdoms, or are citizens of a coming kingdom. And we do this together. Why? Because we will exist in an eternal y'all. Not an eternal me. You see, some of us think that it's just me and Jesus on my cloud forever. And I'm going to get up there with my harp. Never been able to play a harp in my life. I'm going to sit on this cloud and I'm going to look at Jesus forever. Holy, 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 holy. Well, I guarantee if you think about your spirituality in that way, you pursue your spirituality in this world in that way. And it's just you and Jesus and your little cloud. No, Jesus says you are a citizen of a kingdom. That's a city. And you experience that city here. And then you go out and represent that city every day of your life. That's why church attendance can't just be one of the spiritual disciplines. Where it's, I believe in Jesus, I've been saved from my sins, and so I need to share the gospel, read my Bible, pray, and go to church. 
No, church attendance is at the hub because you are experiencing who you are. You're experiencing that in the context of the church as an individual. It's at the hub. It leads to all other spiritual disciplines. You want to share the gospel better? Go to church. Taste heaven on earth. And then you will boldly talk about it throughout the week. Guess what? Heaven's going to be great. Heaven's going to be wonderful. Why? I experienced it this Sunday. Jesus is Lord. It's not legalism. It's not some rule. I tasted the coming kingdom with others empowered by the Spirit of God who love Jesus. I want you to partake in that. It's great. It's awesome. Believe in Jesus. You want to share the gospel? Start enjoying church more. You want to pray better? Start coming to church more. Start engaging in what's happening here. Taste heaven and then you'll pray. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come Lord Jesus. You will begin to pray in such a fervent way as you engage Engage in what goes on in the context of your church. You want to read your Bible more? Engage in what goes on here in the context of your church family. It's not just you and Jesus on your cloud forever. It's Jesus and his church forever. And so read your Bible that way. Do you understand most of the yous in the New Testament are actually y'all? He's writing to churches. He's writing to groups. And he's saying to all of you, figure out how you're going to live in heaven here with one another. Taste what heaven's going to be like by getting together with one another, empowered by the Spirit. You see, some of us think about church and it's like going home to the the wife that's, as Proverbs talks about, the dripping faucet, just nagging, 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 nagging. I don't want to go home to that. Not going to go home to that. I'll go play golf. I'll go fish. I'll go watch football, Gillum's. Not going to that on Sunday. And and I, I pray that we're not, this church is not the nagging housewife. I, I pray that we're always pointing you to Jesus so that you wouldn't love Ashland more, but you'd love Jesus more. I pray, that is our prayer. We want you to find joy in Jesus, not joy in Ashland. If you find joy in Ashland, you're probably not finding joy in Jesus. That is our prayer. But you got to consider one another. You got to consider heaven on earth. You got to engage in it. It's got to be something that you're active in. Why would anybody choose something else? Well, I can tell you this there is one that the writer of Hebrews says he, he's not ashamed to call us brothers. And the writer of Hebrews says, I will tell you of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. You know who he's talking about there? Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says, Jesus isn't ashamed to gather with the church. It's not inconvenient for Jesus to gather with the church on Sundays. He died for her sins. He loves her. He sacrificed for her. The question for you is, why would we choose anything different? Let's pray.